whistle blows and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars. Here we go, Vegas Hockey Hall and AM 1400 KSHP in Las Vegas. They're back. Well, most of them. Second period. Then you got the World Juniors and you got the U.S. game. Is a forfeit. How's that shake out? Yeesh. Golden Knights take on the Kings tonight. No stone. Pacioretty's a game time decision. And Leonard's not going, so it'll be Brassois getting back on the beam tonight. So we'll dive back into, and DeBoer's not coaching the game. So uh, we'll see how it all pans out. They're back. Let's take every game we get and appreciate it in hopes that uh, this thing gets behind us as soon as possible. Everybody gets through this thing, and we get a season with integrity and get all these games made up and get off to the races. We're going to have good fun with you today. We always love our guests on this program. We get to go around the league and have great guests. And we thought with the World Juniors going on and the Oilers had the big start, maybe a little bit of a swoon now, it was time to check in with our buddy Reed Wilkins up in Edmonton. C-H-E-D, 630 C-H-E-D. Reed Wilkins, one of our favorite guests. Hey, bud, I hope you had a great Merry, uh, great and Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays to you. How you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, Christmas was nice. It uh, got down to, uh, what was the coldest it was? Like, it was like about minus 33 or something Celsius. Oh, that's all. Around minus 40 with the wind chill. I'm not going to bother converting that to Fahrenheit. It's cold even for people who live, who are used to snow and ice and, and winter. That's even unreasonably cold for those of us who live here year-round. But uh, we got through it. We got, we got, well, I mean, it's still cold today. Don't get me wrong. It's still minus 20-something today. But it's better. Oilers got back at practice, practicing at Claire Drake Arena. Uh, Claire Drake, and I'm sure many of your listeners will know this, but I'll, I'll give the quick bio here. Claire Drake, uh, an incredibly successful coach at the University of Alberta for the Golden Bears, and he also coached the football team as well for a stint, uh, too. So the uh, University Arena is named after him. And, of course, the Oilers had to practice there because uh, they had their game uh, in Calgary last night postponed, so they would have usually just skated probably at the U of A on the 27th and then been on the road, but they were back at it on Boxing Day yesterday and today and now flying to St. Louis because the World Juniors have uh, taken over Roger's place. So that is the uh, synopsis of the last few days for me. Let me ask you about the Oilers, Reed. The lightning fast start, I mean, it looked like they were going to run away and hide. Vegas was going through all these injuries. Calgary also got off to the fast start. What was the rationale behind Edmonton flattening out a bit? I mean, they really looked like they were gone in the standings, and they came back to the pack quick. Well, yeah, I think in terms of that six-game losing streak, and even since the nine and one start, I mean they're basically, uh, I guess, five hundred or just under five hundred. But if you want to talk specifically about that six-game losing streak, a few things kind of all went wrong at the same time. And I think for those of us who watch the team every day and follow them, 
I don't think any of the problems that surfaced were surprising. It just, they, they again, they all happened at the same time. So first of all, the Oilers are still not a great five-on-five team, uh, especially when the top two lines aren't on the ice. So that plagued them during that losing streak. They then tied into that. They don't have a lot of depth scoring. Uh, so that tied into that. Um, you know, the goaltending has been pretty good for the most part, especially since Mike Smith has been out. But I think you saw some goaltending performances from Miko Koskinen and Stuart Skinner that weren't quite up to what we've been seeing earlier in the season. And the thing that... Uh, uh, that really hurt them was the special teams had a had a swoon. I mean, the power play went through a slump. They got a couple of goals against Boston, but you know had a stretch of uh, I think five and six games where they didn't score a power play goal after being well above thirty percent for most of the year. And the penalty killing, which had been top three for most of the year, it started getting lit up as well. So uh, you know, I, all those things kind of happened at the same time. And if, if you look at some of those games, uh, Boston, they, you know, they lost to Boston 3-2. They lost to Minnesota. Uh, they had tons of shots on goal, like high 30s, low 40s, probably carried most of the play, had most of the zone time, would have had a better Corsi and, and shot attempts and all that kind of stuff. But they weren't getting the pucks to go in. So I, and I think that's what really knocked them back to the pack was those, those six consecutive losses in a row. If you look at their record, I mean, I think it's indicative of how the team has played. I think it's indicative of some of the injuries they've had to play through. It's just weird kind of it happened. I mean, at, at 18 and 11, if they would have been going lose two, win one, lose two, win one all the way, uh, it wouldn't have stood out as much. But as you said, they shot out of the gate at 9 and 1 and then lost uh, lost six in a row. So, you know, still in a good spot. I, I think they're they're really happy with the most recent game they played, which was now back on December 18th against Seattle. They they went into that game with some players in COVID protocol. They had to call up a couple of guys from the farm who, uh, you, you know, Seth Griffith, for example, he was about five years removed since his most recent NHL game. They had to play with 11 forwards instead of 12 because they couldn't get everybody up in time. Uh, they fell behind early, and they got a win. So I, I think they kind of look back at that one now and say, okay, you know what, we got through the six games, six losses in a row. We beat Columbus. We beat Seattle. Granted, not a great team, but beat them under tough circumstances. I mean, Jesse Pugliarvi went into COVID protocol uh, just prior to the game, so they, they couldn't play with him. So I think they look at that and say, okay, you know, we're, we feel a little steadier here, and let's get back at it now. But, Reed, you know, Listen, you're rolling McDavid and Dreisaitl out. you got two of the very best players in the world you're throwing out there every night. But in terms of the big picture for the Oilers and how this will all shake out, clearly it's a very top-heavy team, and you drop both of these guys with 49 points. Amazing, Dreisaitl's got as many points as McDavid. That's flying under the radar. But the drop-off down to Pujarvi, then Hyman, you know, when you're top-heavy and teams... It's not easy defending McDavid, but they're going to make life difficult on him. Is the supporting cast good enough? I mean, and that, that's a you know, that's the nature of the beast, man. If you got stars like that, you need that supporting cast to help them out. Well, and that's the question that we've been asking about the Oilers for really the last couple of years now. I mean, they have made the playoffs two years in a row. They've been, uh, they've had, I guess, in Chicago, you know, all. It was in a bubble, but the games were in Edmonton. They were the higher-seeded team two years in a row and got beat. And not having the depth scoring was the big story there. Look, here, here's the thing, Brian. Are, are, are the Oilers a 
a Stanley Cup contender. And when I say that, I look at the short list of, say, three to six teams, depending on the year, where you say, you know what, something's going to have to go wrong for that team not to make a serious run at it. I still think they're a second-tier team. Um, I, I still think that, yeah, once you get and, – and now they're at the point where they're going to be judged on playoff success. I mean, the, the decade of darkness is over, where they were finishing not just out of the playoffs but in the bottom three in the standings almost every year, and they missed the playoffs ten years in a row. That, I mean, that's done. I, I mean, this should be a team that is in the playoffs every year, barring some sort of disaster or uh, extreme injury during the course of the regular season. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's a fair question, and and the answer right now is no. They're not they're not deep enough to be looked at as a top tier team because they don't have the depth scoring, and some nights they haven't even had the depth grinding. I mean, you know, if you're a you know the fourth line, I think I'm going to take out of the equation because most fourth lines in the NF, in the NHL don't play a ton, and I mean especially here in Edmonton with Drysdale, with McDavid, with Nugent Hopkins, with Hyman getting a lot of ice time. Uh, but the third line for Edmonton, when they had a swoon here and they started the season well, and then the next batch of games weren't very good, it wasn't that they simply weren't scoring. They weren't keeping the puck in the other end of the rink, and then they were getting scored on. So you, you saw a huge swing go the other way when that line was on the ice. Now, again, the last few games for the depth players has looked a little bit better, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, we'll see where it goes towards the trade deadline. Who are the Oilers going to acquire? I mean, ideally, I think they tr- want to try to acquire somebody who could play on the second or third line and chip in with a little bit of offense and grind out some minutes as well and maybe have a little bit of versatility. Maybe somebody like their 2020 first-round draft pick, Dylan Holloway, is going to be available later in the season. Uh, the star player out of Wisconsin, you know, he was a teammate with Cole Caulfield there who we saw score some pretty big goals for the Canadians late in the regular season and in the playoffs. He's coming back from a wrist injury, probably going to go to Bakersfield soon. Maybe he's available for the Oilers once you get into March, so there might be an internal solution there. But you're right. I mean, if you, if you were to ask me what's the biggest thing holding the Oilers back uh, from being a true, true contender, I would still say, yeah, it's probably forwards, you know, six through nine, yeah. six through ten, maybe on the. I mean, the top, the, the top five guys are actually, and I know, and I know you mentioned there's a drop off in points to Hyman and Puliyarvi. Fair enough, but you know, Puliyarvi does his thing. Uh, Hyman is a very, very versatile no, player. No, he's a, he's a stud. He's uh, and, a stud. And Nuge, look, I know Nuge's goal total is like, wait a minute, what's going on? But the guy gets assists and he kills penalties and he plays on the power play. So they got a top five. Which is, which is, I mean, you're going to laugh at me saying this, Brian, which is an improvement from two years ago when they had a top three, and right. that was it. That's right? it. They just that... had news but David a dry sale. So well, at least they are beefed up a little bit. Well, I'm not trying to stir a pot here, a, ca- no, a cauldron on you, but I, I'm just, I'm curious. This, they're seven over 500. It, it, it's not like there's, there's no massive problem here. Just, they had the fast start, and they, they hit their, you hope it's their losing streak for the season. But... McDavid, as amazing as he is, the day is going to come, Reed, when he could win 10 hard trophies, but it's going to be gauged on playoff success for him, you know, at some point. And he seems like just, you know, he goes out there, he gives us all, he's a fighter, he, 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 everything he brings to the table. What more could you ask for? Uh, and I'm sure he keeps whatever to himself. I just, I just wonder. 
you know, at what point does there a level of frustration kick in for McDavid to say, hey, organizationally, come on now, let's go. You know, we got the prime of my life coming here. We can be winning this thing. Get some help in here. Well, again, Brian, I, I mean, I, I get asked that by by fans too, and I, and I know you're, I know you're coming from the point here of okay, he he is the best player in the game, and it's all about winning titles. But I just don't think we're there yet. I mean, I, I mean, look, if if really what you're asking me is Connor McDavid going to ask for a trade ever, I say no. I flat out say no. He stri- he strikes me as the kind of guy who will want to finish what he started. I I, exactly. I agree with you with on that front. Exactly. If if you're asking me when he's a free agent in uh, four years or whatever it is now, could he look around? Well, sure. Why not? I mean, that's that's the nature of free agency, right? I mean, wasn't Stamkos? What was the timing with Stamkos? Was it just before he became a free agent or an mm-hmm. hour after? Right. Right. Like the speculation. Remember that season? The speculation was well, he's going to Toronto. He's going to go to Toronto. That, that's the guy the Leafs will get, and then and then he stayed there. So yeah, I, I get that question, but you know, did Ovechkin leave Washington? No, I mean, granted, I, they I guess were a, a perennial playoff team, but they had some pretty disappointing seasons, right? They had some pretty disappointing seasons. Presidents Trophy out in the second round, you know, top five in the overall standings, lose to Pittsburgh again, lose to the Rangers. So I. I I think you kind of said it there. I, I don't really think that's in McDavid's makeup to um, think, well, okay, this isn't going my way. This isn't going the way I want it, so I'm, I'm going to want to go somewhere else. And then if you look around the NHL, like, is it, where is there a guarantee to win anywhere, right? I mean, like, okay. No, you're like, right. You're right. Okay, go, go to another team. Well, do they do they have what it takes? Okay, we'll join the defending Stanley Cup champion. Well, how hard is it to win two in a row? You know, or if you're if you're adding McDavid's contract, how much do you have to get rid of to to make room for him? So you know, I I I get the question. The star players are going to discuss that way, but I mean, to me, there's no indication that that's McDavid's thinking at all at this point. No, and I think anybody that wants to poke holes at this guy, you know, when they come up short in the playoffs. Uh, you know, it's insanity. I mean, I mean, what a one-two punch. I mean, I mean, really, the treat you have is to watch those guys play every night. Reed. I mean, I mean, and and the thing is, you watch it on TV, but man, when you see him in person, those first two strides, when he like that Rangers goal, when he decides to go, it's over. I mean, I, you, there's nobody, nobody like the guy. Well, and, and you're right. I mean, it is pretty amazing to see both of them play. I, I'm going to put Dreisaitl right up there. And, you know, for, you're right with McDavid. The speed is is mind-boggling. And not just the speed, but the fact that he can control the puck at that speed and like he did against the Rangers and like he did against the Jets, actually go around guys and, and appear to be out of control but still have the puck and then finish the play. And then to see Dreisaitl, who... Is, is really a, a totally different type of player. I mean, McDavid wants the game to go as fast as possible, and Dreisaitl's more the type of guy who's, who look, can look around and say, I'm actually going to go as fast as I want to go, guys, and try and take the puck off me. And then when three of you are on me, I'm going to throw a blind backhand pass diagonally 70 feet <laughs> across the attacking zone and find a guy for a backdoor tap. I mean, here's a... Here, and, I mean, you brought up Dreisaitl. He's tied for the point for the league and for the scoring lure. He's tied with in points with McDavid. 
I still don't know if he gets enough credit because a lot of his highlights can be a lot more subtle. Um, he probably touches more parts of the game than McDavid does because he will occasionally kill penalties uh, and take face-offs and do things like that. And and then when they're on the ice together, it can just be um, artistry. I mean, seeing what they can come up with and the amount of points they produce on the power play. Reed, how about Vegas with the injuries, what they had to overcome? And there were moments when literally... They won a couple of games early on in the season. Things weren't going great for them. And you get a win or two here and there, and it's like, oh, you survived that one and you move on, and it's an 82-game season. But all they were going through, to sit here and see them sitting atop the division the way Edmonton and Calgary had started, I mean, the Golden Knights, I mean, they deserve a world of credit the way they dug down deep and seemed to be a different guy every night, even with the injuries they went through. You know, when you watch these guys from afar, are you surprised they're all the way back into first already? I'm actually not, Brian. And it's funny because, you know, working with my colleague Rob Brown and doing our show after the games, we, even when it wasn't going great for Vegas early, and, you know, I know the Oilers have won a couple of games in there. Uh, I think Vegas pretty was healthier for the second game. I don't know if they were fully healthy, but they were healthier. Uh, we always talked about the, and we've believed it all the way, the division goes through Vegas. Like, like we, we truly believe that, that they're, they're the most well-rounded team. Uh, you know, they got a really good defense. I guess they don't have the same one-two punch and goal like they did last year, but still pretty good. And, you know, you stone Pacioretty, some really good all-around players. So, I, I did. I think maybe Vegas was going to recover as quickly as they have. Perhaps not. But and, and to me, Brian, that's one of those things where you talk about the regular season versus the playoffs. Wherever the Golden Knights finish, you know, even if they wind up second or third in the division, I, I again, I still see they're the favorite going in because of their roster and because. Well, I mean, they've been good every year. I mean, the only the only year they didn't go deep in the playoffs is I don't have to remind you they lost on a crazy <laughs> yes. sequence of events that you and I discussed on both our shows when that happened a few years ago. So, I, I think to, the to win the Pacific, you are going to have to beat the Golden Knights. I, I, I just I just don't see any other way around that. And I know Calgary is looking very good. Anaheim's this you know plucky duck team that's sticking around right now. Uh, Edmonton's got the superstar players and a lot of potential, but I still think the division goes through Vegas. And, and even if we were sitting here with Vegas still struggling at this point and, and maybe fighting for a wild card spot, I would still feel that way. I just have that much respect for the, how the roster has been built there and how they've been able to play. You know, I honestly, and I mean this sincerely, hadn't even thought of this as a long-suffering Sabres fan. I can tell you this, and a little later, I mentioned, by the way, for Golden Knights fans, Alex Tuck is back. He's making his debut tomorrow against New Jersey. Peyton Krebs got called up from Rochester, so it'll be interesting to see how those guys fare. They finally get their shot together to be on the ice for the Sabres. But I'm going to the Eichel thing. Eichel and McDavid always attached at the hip. And I know, you know, as a Sabres fan, when they were playing Edmonton, everybody couldn't wait to see Eichel and McDavid go head-to-head. And I honestly hadn't even thought of this, but now the prospects of seeing this several times a year instead of just twice, uh, that's going to be pretty exciting once Eichel gets healthy and in the lineup here. 
Well, I agree with you. And there had been some pretty good games between the Oilers and Sabres uh, over the years. And now Eichel obviously has, has missed a few along the way. Um, generally, I think they've done better in each other's buildings. Just off the top of my head, they've had some overtime games along the way. And I agree. If, if that, I mean, that would be an incredible storyline if they did meet in the playoffs uh, because you'd have them going head to head. You'd have, like we've talked about, the Oilers trying to get over the playoff hump. And well, what I mean, talk about storylines and pressure for Eichel. The guy's never played a playoff game, right? I mean, I don't think he's ever no. even been close. I don't think he's ever even been. No, a, and, 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 and I'm the only guy around here. I'll, I'll say this: like they'll they'll just drop an anvil on Buffalo. You know, oh, right. it, was, it, was, it was a dumpster fire. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, he didn't get him there either, and he could have been the guy to carry them there. You know, so I mean, I don't think he walks out of there, you know, getting a complete pass at all. A lot of people want to give him that pass. I won't. Yeah, I guess that's fair. But again, talking about the roster around the guys, I mean, what did what was around them really? Right? I mean, how how close did they really look to being on on the verge of anything while he was there? Now, I know he, you know, he. I guess both sides sort of face a lot of heat for how it ended. You know, there was obviously the, the finger pointing about the surgery and the injury and what's going on with all this stuff, and and eventually he gets traded. But yeah, I, I mean, I guess see, I, I always enjoy your perspective as from the Buffalo angle because that's that's the kind of a level of pain that a lot of current. Well, no, I mean, listen, I, I I I literally, and I'm and and I don't, I swear to you, I don't think Vegas, the fans here, have any clue about what's coming here. I mean, I mean, I have no life. I watch every shift. I watched every shift that guy ever played, and that's true. Counting preseason games, right? I mean, he's must see TV. You think of McDavid? Who the hell knows what's he going to do tonight? He's a guy who can go through an entire team and score an unbelievable goal. And you know, I'm you know, it pains me that he's gone. All right, now I'm going to get to watch him every night here. And, I, you know, what the deal pans out for both of these teams remains to be seen. But, I mean, these guys don't grow on trees. People are sitting here going, oh, well, gee, we gave up Peyton Krebs. Like, what? What are you, are you nuts? It's Jack Eichel. I mean, did you realize what's coming here? I mean, you got to give up something to get something. You didn't give up anywhere near enough. I mean, it's a screaming good deal for Vegas. Oh, I would agree with that, and I, I would say yes. If, if if Vegas fans feel like they're not sure what they're getting with Jack Eichel, I, I think you'll know a few <laughs> a few games into his tenure there, whatever it's going to start. No, I mean he's he's an explosive, special player, and and I mean any other. That's the weird thing. Like any other year in the last how many, Brian? Going back to Ovechkin, maybe probably going back to Crosby. He's the clear number one pick. I don't think I'm overstating that. I mean, even if Matthews and Eichel were in the same draft, who would have gone first overall? Probably uh, Eichel. I believe it would. I believe it would. Have, well, they. I mean, they claimed they called McDavid and Eichel generational talents. I don't know that right. Matthews was ever called a generational talent. No. Although he's, you know, look what he is now. But I think at the time, as a kid, I at the time at sure. the at the time of the draft, I think Eichel clearly would have gone ahead of him. Yeah, so that's what I'm so proud. So let's go back to, to 2005. If Jack Eichel 
is born a year later or a year earlier, hypothetically, in, in any year between 06 and 21, uh, he's the first overall pick, right? <laughs> so yep. that's what Vegas fans should consider. The only reason he didn't go first overall is because he happens to be the same age as Connor McDavid. I, I mean, he's he's an incredible talent, and that's going to be such a boost. And, and I guess, I mean, look, me watching from afar and seeing the Vegas games on TV, I mean, and I think you and I talked about it when uh, when they were uh, in the bubble here in Edmonton. Uh, they just forgot how to score, right? That's the it. deeper they got into the playoffs. And then against Montreal, okay, yeah, some funky goals and just that whole weird vibe and the momentum Montreal was on, but they they couldn't get the big goal against the Canadians when they needed it. And the the power play dried up, and this guy fixes a... 70% of Eichel fixes this power play. Eichel standing still on the half wall quarterbacking the power play. Have a nice day. Well, and that's the thing. So uh, so you mentioned the goal that David scored against the Rangers. And and a lot of the reason that that is so, uh, I mean, obviously it's a highlight real goal. But don't forget, that was with about two and a half minutes to go in a game the Oilers trailed 5-4, in which they trailed 4-1 on a night that uh, Kevin Lowe had his number retired. I mean, it was a big goal on a, you know, for a game in early November, that's pretty much the biggest stage you can get, right? I mean, we know that's a long way from the playoffs, but you got a, uh, you, you had a, a legacy player in the organization have his, his number retired. You're playing a team from New York. Uh, you know, you were, you were down three, then you were down one, and he scores that goal. And that's the thing that Eichel can add to Vegas. Okay, you're down a goal. There's 10 minutes left. Okay, well, Eichel's probably going to get, uh, he's probably going to play four of those 10 minutes at least, right? And regardless of what the other guys are doing on the ice, he might be able to explode and tie the game. And I, as good as Vegas has been, they haven't had that type of player, right? They haven't had that guy who might be able to get the puck inside his own blue line and say, I'm tying the game, and I'm doing it right now, and I can do it without any help because I'm that good. The, the, the Golden Knights have not had that type of player. All right, Reed Wilkins is joining us from Edmonton. We love having Reed on and get his perspective. Before I get to the World Juniors, I, I just got to ask you, Reed, give us the scoop on what life is like there, what you're hearing from the government's perspective. You know, we had Quebec basically shut down. They had no fans in the Montreal game. Then Ontario, where Ottawa and Toronto, we're going to have 50% fans. And then we took the break. Uh, What are the prospects of the border becoming an issue again? Or is that just something don't even go there? That's a good question. I, I hope that doesn't become the case. Uh, life here is, uh, yes, we, we are now at 50% capacity for games. So that doesn't affect Oilers' home games until January. It does affect the World Juniors, so which is in Edmonton and uh, down the highway in, in Red Deer, which is a smaller city with a team in the Western Hockey League. So, yeah, I mean, if you've seen the games on Rogers Place, it, it, it looks to me like even for Canada's game, uh, when did they play on Boxing Day, it, it didn't even look like it was 50% full because I think a lot of fans have just chosen to get uh, refunds on tickets or, or just have decided not to go. So that's, that's kind of the situation as it relates to, to pro sports right now. 
Okay, this basically has just come out. Uh, the Red Wings-Islanders game tomorrow's postponed. In addition, the NHL says due to the current attendance restrictions in certain Canadian cities, nine additional games will be rescheduled for dates later in the season when they can get more fans in there, basically. And uh, the Boston-Montreal game, they're going to shift on January 12th from Montreal to Boston. I wonder how whatever the shadow schedule may have looked like, Reed, now they got to be just taking a big lighter to it and starting all over. And and I'm wondering, I mean, seriously, like the, the Canadian cities, are you going to be sending these guys on 10, 12-game road trips so that they can get fans in the stands on the back end of the season? I think this is a real... This is going to be a real scheduling quirk that we're going to have to watch closely at. Well, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens during the Olympic break, which now we know is no longer a break, that they're just going to keep playing. Uh, How many... So here's the thing. There are, what is it? I think it's 11 or 12 NHL teams that share a building with an NBA team and, of course, also have concerts or might have, you know, basketball or lacrosse or whatever sharing the facilities so how many of the game and like how convenient is it just to reschedule games during the olympic break i i've heard it's not going to be as convenient convenient as it might look well no like, the arenas you know? i mean the, i mean they say it's one thing for gary bettman to tell arenas to you know keep dates open that's easy for you to say uh, they, they might have you know booked concerts and other events and then you have some cities where they got multiple pro teams yeah, exactly. So I, I wonder, actually, I'm very curious to see how busy it's actually going to be during that Olympic break. Um, you know, for the Oilers buildings, uh, I think there's one concert and maybe three or four Oil Kings games. So they'll be pretty, pretty convenient to them to schedule game, reschedule games. But they've only had one of the four Oilers games that have been postponed. Only one of them was going to be a home game. And then, as you said, if there are still attendance restrictions – and and they don't want to have too many games in Canada, then then that doesn't leave you, you leave them with much option if they want to flip flop games, right? And have San Jose and LA come here, and then the orders go there later in the season. So I mean, look, I I think we're going into May. We might be going two or three weeks into May to finish the regular season, Brian. Like at this point, I I don't see any way around it. I mean, there's going to be there will be more postponed games. Like I, I had so that just came down the one they announced today. Because uh, I hadn't seen that yet, so I assume they must have just announced it. As Four minutes talking. ago, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that I mean, that's not. And this is this is the crazy thing. Um, so the Oilers are flying to St. Louis. They if, if they're not in the air right now, they probably will be in twenty minutes or half an hour. They're going to St. Louis. If someone were to say to me, "Are you one hundred percent sure that game is going to be played?" Well, of course I'm not one hundred percent sure the game's going to be played. I mean, they had a game in Montreal last year postponed while I was hosting our pregame show. <laughs> Six thirty, Chad. Right, yeah. so, so you can't you can't be sure of, about anything at this point. So hopefully they're you know hopefully the the bulk of the postponed games are behind us, but we're not at the end of it yet. And I it, again, it's not as simple as oh, just put everything in the Olympic break. Everybody plays you know uh, uh, everybody plays eight games in fourteen days during the Olympic break. It is not going to be that easy. So I think we're going into May, and as you sort of referenced, maybe existing games get moved around as well. And the, the the games we see on the calendar right now in a, in a week or two, even looking ahead into March and April, might not look anything like that. Reed, 
I mean, I don't drive a turnip truck here. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I, I, I have the ability to look to the future a little bit. And for a month was saying, yeah, they're not going to the Olympics. And then was saying the reason they're not quickly pulling the plug on this is it was collectively bargained and the players wanted to go. So the league was getting letting it play out so that the majority of the players would say, we're not going to go. So they wouldn't say, we, you know, the players would come back and say, we owe you one. And for the most part, it flew through the cracks, and okay, they're not going, and there hasn't been much pushback. Although Brad Marchand today, very outspoken. This is from Marchand. He had a, you know, he's actually said it in front of a mic, but he he put this out on Twitter. The NHL NHLPA can change the rules of the CBA to add a taxi squad so they don't miss any games, don't lose any money, which has already been agreed upon that the players pay back in uh, that the, uh, the players will pay back in escrow until the owners are made whole from what they have lost during the pandemic, regardless how many games are being missed. Yet they can't do a taxi squad during the Olympics so they can honor the agreement they made so the NHL players can go. Please tell me that's not BS. He didn't use the letters. And for all of you who want to pipe back out about forfeiting pay while being gone, not a problem. Let the players make their choice. Well, What do you make of what he's saying and the whole thing? Um, I mean, on the Olympic front, I love Olympic hockey. I wanted it to happen. This just seemed like a disaster waiting to happen. Well, I think I, I agree with you that, you know, a couple weeks before the announcement was made, we could all kind of see the writing on the wall that, that it wasn't going to work. Um, you know, I, I respect the player having an opinion, uh, absolutely. And he is a player that would have been on the Olympic team. And uh, he is missing out on that opportunity. You know, Connor McDavid said on Boxing Day that as a player who has never gone, that that he's really disappointed and the hockey needs best-on-best tournaments. And and he said he prefers doing it in the Olympics as opposed to having a World Cup. I I guess my counterpoint to Marchand is, and I realize what he's saying about taxi squads and stuff, there's still the, the 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 fear was that you get a positive test in Beijing and you're stuck there for a month and you're away from your NHL team and I, I guess I guess it would be up to each individual player to answer is, is the pursuit of a medal or having a gold medal worth you being out of your NHL lineup for a month and then that team misses the playoffs by three points because you weren't there on the power player the penalty killer nah, you or whatever it. you know so. And I can't answer that for Brad Marchand, and I can't put myself in the shoes of an NHL player, but or, or for some guys, or potentially being away from your wife and kids, you know. And you know, you, you know, know you, we, better, you better win we, the gold we, medal if you're going to do that. It's funny because you know, I'm not saying I'm a completely softer touch getting older. But I am a lot more cognizant of the fact that we talk about these guys and move them around like chess pieces. And they're people with family and kids and dogs. And, you know, we, and I don't think any of us give them, you know, put enough stock in that, that these are people. I mean, they're hockey players. Yeah, they're making a truckload of dough. But, but they're human beings that have things in their life that impact the way they play hockey. And we just say, well, yeah, let's move them for that guy and you know, uproot a kid. You know, they got three kids in grade school and they got to pick them up and all these kids have to leave all their friends. Well, that is a good point. And I, I, I try to keep the, the human element. And I mean, you're, you're right. The, the fact that they, uh, 
are living a childhood dream and, and in a lot of cases, like you said, making a lot of money, that doesn't mean they give up the, the right to have emotions or lives away from their jobs. And it's funny, I mean, to tie this back into an Oilers angle, uh, Miko Koskinen, the, the Oilers goalie, I mean, he struggled at times last year and he's been better this year. And he said it was tough last year. You know, the wife and the kid and the kids and the dog were back in Finland and you can't go out much, you know, <laughs> home or away traveling last year. So he, he goes from having this sort of uh, lifestyle at home with uh, distractions and seeing kids grow up to it's like, okay, well, you're at the rink or you're pretty much sitting around by yourself. I mean, that I don't think that would be easy, regardless of the size of your paycheck or your profession. So do me a favor. You're there. World Juniors. First of all, this is like devastating news. The U.S. Yeah. game is a forfeit, not postponed. I mean, read the the integrity of the whole tournament would go to hell in a handbasket if these guys don't make the medal round because of this. Well, this, yeah, this scares me today that this happened. And you could see a team knocked out or have their seating affected because of having to miss games. I mean, I mean, this is a worst case scenario. We've seen all these other double IHF tournaments been called off entirely. Many of them women's tournaments, which I know has upset a lot of people. And, you know, that's probably a discussion worth having uh, at some point as well. But th- this is, you know, it's it's so interesting to me, Brian. Like, for I, and I know you have probably a lot of Canadians listening and a, and a lot of really hardcore hockey fans listening. But for maybe your casual fans or your newer fans to hockey, the the World Juniors in Canada... It's everything. Like the it's like the NCAA Final Four times ten. And I like, and I, I and I'm overstating it. Like no, and I'm and I'm and I'm a nutbar south of the border that is every bit as passionate as you guys are. I relish watching the stars of tomorrow and if and, and watch the prospects that your teams drafted. I mean, I'm sitting there with a drool cup the other night watching Owen Power. <laughs> Right. How good! Awesome. Oh yeah. my God! You know, I'm like Gary. Get this tournament over with and get him the hell to Buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so it's and, that, and again, like it was obviously weird seeing it in the bubble last year, even though it was in Edmonton. And it's kind of like I'll give you some perspective, Brian. Like I, I live a six minute drive from Rogers Place, and I can't go to the games. <laughs> you know, because, it's insanity. Because because you know I'm doing I'm doing my talk show or the Oilers are playing so even on in a night I might have been able to go you just you, it's not like before where it's like hey can I get a media pass for one game well it's not that simple with COVID right so uh, and now it's just weird this year again having it here but seeing passionate fans at the games but not a full building because like the, a World Junior ticket in Canada. And again, just to tell your listeners who who maybe aren't as familiar, like the World Junior Tournament is in Canada every second year. They don't rotate it. It's Canada, then it's somewhere else. It's Reed, Canada, then it's Reed, somewhere else. Reed, speak, speak they to know this. Because they're going to fill it here. Speak to this, because I mean this with, with all sincerity. And I root real hard, believe me, for the U.S. to beat Canada. I mean real hard. But I got news for you. The pressure those Canadian kids face... It's just a hockey tournament. Those kids are crestfallen if they don't win the gold. Oh, it's, well, I mean, they're 18, 19 years old, and they grow up watching the tournament. 
and you know every generation of players has uh, a moment or we're watching games with family at Christmas or on the road with their junior teammates in a hotel. I, I, I've talked to the Oil Kings kids, the Edmonton Oil Kings kids who are on this team. we got four of them. Well, what do you remember? Well, Jordan Everly, when the tournament was in Ottawa, tied a game against Russia with five seconds left in the third period, and then Canada won in a shootout in a, in a semifinal. I mean, that's who they wanted to be. That's... A, a Reed, magical Canadian hockey moment. Reed, I, I watch all this stuff, and I got a pretty good man. I don't know what I did five minutes ago, but I can remember sporting events from 45 years ago. I'm I'm watching the, the Ducks at the beginning of the year, and I'm going, look at this guy. He's unbelievable. Where, where, the, hell, where the hell did Troy Terry come from? And then I'm right. like, wait a minute. This was the guy who was like absolute money in the World Juniors. I think that was the one at the Bell Center in Montreal, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's and that's the interesting thing for now. You're right; they're they're crestfallen if they lose. Uh, some Canadian, like there was the kid that missed the penalty shot uh, in Vancouver a couple. I forget who it was, uh, three or four years ago, missed the penalty shot against Finland, and Canada wound up losing. And the kid's getting like death threats on his social media. It's like, settle down. Like it, he didn't like. He missed a penalty shot in a hockey game. He's a oh my kid, God, but I like, know. like that's how crazy some Canadians get about it. But even even not to that, like it is big. And I think I'll say this: one of the perhaps negatives about it is that you can see your guy at a at this tournament and maybe think he's better than he's going to be when he gets to the NHL. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. You know, like Andrew Cogliano, who has had an amazing NHL career. But when he played in the tournament, and I think that was when it was in Vancouver the first time about 15 years ago, I mean, he looked like, well, there's a, there's a top six guy. There's a top six guy. Well, that was never Andrew Cogliano's tra- trajectory as an NHL player, right? So sometimes these guys join their NHL teams, and then it's like, well, where's the kid at the, who was at the World Juniors? Well, he can't be that kid once he gets to the NHL. So it's an interesting tournament because it's, it's, it's such a spotlight and it's such a microscope, and the results get exaggerated either way. Oh man, right? if you're, buddy, if you're on a Canadian team that finished fourth, oh my God! Hey, what, tom- how are you such a loser? Tomorrow, Tuck and Krebs are making their debut with the Sabers. Great, I've seen these guys. I know what they are, and I I can't wait to see how it pans out for them there. The guy I'm drooling over, I'm telling you, who, who I think has the potential to be every bit as good as those guys, is J.J. Paterka, the German kid. Stutzler right. went nuts in the World Juniors. Paterka's the guy that set him up for everything. Right. You know, I mean, I love watching these kids in this tournament. Listen, Reed, your show is great. Uh, we always appreciate you jumping on board. C-H-E-D up in Edmonton, 630. Reed Wilkins. Man, thank you for doing this. It's always a treat, and uh, thank God we're playing hockey again, bud. Happy New Year, Brian. Thanks, Brian. You're the best. Great, great information. I mean, Reed can tell a tale. He knows his team, and he knows the league, and we love our guests on this show. So we thank you. Jason Pothier is going to be in studio with us tomorrow from Simbin.Vegas. Again, sincere thanks to Reed Wilkins. TC is coming up next. Don't forget. Adam S. Cutner on Twitter, on the Power Play, on social media. You can win tickets to a future Golden Knights game in Terribles. When they're home, spin the wheel on the VGK Game Day Giveaway.